Now, go ahead and make your way over to math. I'm familiar with the story, but uh, there was this duck. And while you're doing that, I'm going to tell you a story. You might be familiar with the story, but uh, there was this duck. And this duck was sitting on five eggs. And uh, one day, those eggs hatched. And when those eggs hatched, out popped four of these little birds that looked one way and one of these birds that looked another way. And we call that bird that looked another way the ugly duckling, okay? And so this ugly duckling, as it grows up around these other ducks, well, they look at the duck and they're like, something's wrong with you, man. And so they peck on the duck and they make fun of the duck and they're kind of mean to the duck. And so the duck finally decides, like, this isn't right. I shouldn't live in this persecution. I'm going to leave himself at home with the duck, how ugly he is. And he's like, well, I really treat him the same way. They pick at the duck and, and they make fun of the duck and they tell the duck how ugly he is. And he's like, well, I really am just an ugly duck, aren't I? And so he leaves and he, he, he sets out again. And he, as he goes along, he swims along, he finds this little, little group of herons. And he walks up to the herons and he's trying to make himself at home with the herons. And that doesn't work either because the herons are mean to him too. And they tell him how ugly he is as well. He just doesn't fit in with them. And so he's convinced there's just no home for him in the world so he moves on and as he moves on keeps on swimming keeps on making his way he comes across these swans and he's like you know I've run into all these other birds the course of my life they're going to tell me how ugly I am they're going to be mean to me too but the swans they don't do that he's kind of off protecting himself hiding himself and when the swans comes up to him and says hey well, like, why don't you hang out with us what's the problem he says I guys I just don't want you to see how ugly I am I'm such an ugly duckling and they say have you like looked at yourself lately? And so he, he, he takes a look in the water and he looks back and he's like, wow, I've, I've really changed. Something's really different. I look like all these swans. And so there you go. The ugly duckling realizes he wasn't a duckling and he lives on happily ever after. Now, the ugly duckling's problem was not that he was ugly. The ugly duckling's problem was he wasn't a, he wasn't a duck. But he had a problem because he didn't know he wasn't a duck. Whether we're a duck trying to figure out where we fit in the world, but we're actually swans, so we fit in better with the swans, we kind of need to know who we are. Or whether we're a disciple who's trying to figure out what it looks like for us to relate to the others around us and to the Lord faithfully, we got to start by knowing who we are. So do we know who we are? You're going to see, I think, pretty clearly that is the theme of our text this morning. How, who are we and how does that mean we relate to one another? How does that mean we relate to the Lord? So if you would, read with me. Matthew chapter 7, we'll begin in verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. For which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to get good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven get good things to those who ask? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. If you would, pray with me. Oh Lord, uh, we come believing that your book lives. We ask that you would this morning in Jesus. You are 
All right, well, do you know who you are? Dear Christian, dear Christ follower, dear disciple, do you know who you are? Judge not that you be not judged. Everything we're going to see this morning hangs on the fact that we're going to make the assumption if you're a Christ follower, we're assuming that you assume you're not going to be judged. That's what it means to follow Christ. That's what it means to have your trust in Christ. It means that you know because of what Jesus has done for you, because of who he is, because he's lived and died and risen in your place and you've put your trust in him, you're assuming that you're not going to be judged. That is our kind of base foundational place that we are going to land. You are not going to be judged. So, judge not that you be not judged is just a simple application of if we're a people who ought to be judged but aren't going to be judged, we should be a people who aren't a judgy people ourselves. Not a quick to judge people, not a condemning people, not a fault finding people, not the type of people who are eager to find something wrong and crawl somebody for some problem we got about something. If we're that type of person, it doesn't look like we know who we are. Because who we are, these people who deserve to be condemned, who actually aren't going to be condemned. So judge not that you be not judged. If you who should be condemned are not going to be condemned, then you shouldn't condemn or judge or fault find either. But Thomas, I'm not supposed to be soft on sin, am I? No, I never said that. I never said nothing about being soft on sin. But Thomas, Discernment. I'm supposed to have discernment, right? Right. Verse 6 is in my Bible too. If you believe, believe it or not, I read ahead in my Bible. Verse 16, we're going to see next week. Like It's going to tell us to have discernment too. So yes, we want to be a people who treat sin like it's sin. Nobody's asking you to be soft on sin. We want to be a people who have discernment. Yes, that should characterize us. That should flavor us. But a people quick to judge, a people quick to condemn, a people who are eager to cross somebody for some problem that we've got with them or what they've done or how they've made us feel, no, not us. Not the life of somebody who knows they ought to be condemned but haven't been condemned and they only haven't been condemned because Jesus hasn't been condemned. If our lives, is, if our lives are wrapped up in Christ, we will not be this quick to judge, quick to condemn, quick to fault find, quick to cross somebody for some problem. We've got people. So, do you know who you are? For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So let's just imagine, let's just imagine for the sake of, of, of the, the text this morning as we try to think our way through it. Let's just imagine you're a fault-finding type of person. You're the type of person who is a judgy person. You're a quick-to-condemn person. You're the type of person who really can't wait to find something wrong so you can tell somebody how you found something wrong. You just live to critique. Let's imagine that's you for, for just a moment. Because the challenge is to you, too. That who can find something wrong with anybody or anything, I'm just here to tell you, we can do that to you, too. That can happen to you, too. How would you like it if that was laid on you? I wouldn't like it. I'm sure to tell you I wouldn't like it. Because if you're sitting here this morning, and in, instead of, like, appreciating me and, and trying to be gentle towards me and being kind to me, which you've done all those things. I feel so appreciated by this church over the last month. Y'all have been so gracious and kind to me. I'm delighted to be your pastor. But I just want you to imagine that instead of that approach and that disposition, let's imagine that you said, I want to find something wrong with Thomas. Like, I want to find, I'm, I want to have a problem with this sermon this morning. Guess what? You'll do it. 
There are faults there to be found. You could say even right now, I don't like the way Thomas told the story of the ugly dog. That's not how I would tell it. Like, that's not the way I'm used to hearing it. That's not the way I told it to my kids. I swapped out and used different birds. I summarized it a different way. I don't like the way Thomas told that story. He's wrong. I've got a problem with his sermon. You could say, you could say that. You could say, I got a problem with the fact he talked about the ugly duck at all. You know why? Because that story is offensive to ducks. It makes them out to be mean-spirited creatures, and I don't like that because I like ducks, and he just shouldn't have talked about ducks like that. You could say that. If you wanted to find a problem, you could say something like, uh, you, you might have got to me after Sunday school before I brushed my teeth, and you could have said, wow, Thomas's breath was just awful. How much coffee has that guy drank this morning? That is unreal. I don't know a lot about being a pastor, but I know pastors are supposed to have good breath, and Thomas didn't have good breath this morning. Thomas is a lousy pastor. You could, you could say something like that. You could say something like, you know, uh, I came by the church this week, I stopped by, and Thomas was sitting in his office wearing shorts. Unbelievable. It's the middle of November, notwithstanding the fact it's 70 degrees outside, but he was wearing shorts in his office. Do you know how much better he could read the Bible if he would wear long pants and sit in his office? Unreal. Like, if you're looking for a problem, you can find it. It's there to be found. If you're a a judgy, condemning, fault-finding person, I'm going to find something wrong with that type person, well, okay, you can do that. We can do that to you too. So you probably don't want to lay that standard on somebody because you don't want that standard laid on you by others. And, And here's really the point. You definitely don't want that standard laid on you by the Lord. How easy would it be for the all-knowing, ever-present Lord to find something wrong with you, for him to judge you, for him to condemn you, for him to find fault with you? Like, that would be about the easiest thing ever in the history of the world. The Lord has plenty of ammunition to judge you with. And here's the point of the text. If you're a judgy, condemning, eager-to-find-fault person, the Lord probably is going to judge you. You're on track for the Lord to condemn you. You're on track for the Lord to find fault with you. Not because Jesus isn't sufficient for you, not because trusting Jesus isn't enough, but because if you're a judging, condemning, quick to find fault person, it doesn't seem like you really know who you are. It doesn't seem like you've got a lot of trust in Jesus. It seems like you think a lot of you. And so if you're a judgy, condemning, quick to find fault, you, the measure that you use will be measured. Here we go. Here's our example. Verse to you. And we get an example of what, what does this look like? Here we go. Here's our example. Verse 3. Hey, why do you see? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? We've got two people. Notice the, the way our story is set up here. Brother, brother and sister, if that's easier for you to reconcile in your mind. But we got two people who are in the family of faith. Like they're saying, one saying I'm a believer and one saying I'm a believer. These are our, our two people. One of them is a log-eyed person. They've got a log in their eye. And you're like, Thomas, how in the world would it have a log in my eye? I don't even know how I could fit a log in my eye. It seems like it'd be pretty obvious to me that there was a log in my eye if there was a log in my eye. Yeah, I know. Jesus knows too. That's the point. Like, your sin ought to be super duper obvious to you. So this is log-eyed person. You got this big log in your eye. And you, instead of like realizing, hey, I'm a sinner and I've got a log in my eye and like there really is like this big thing I need to deal with. Instead of dealing with that, instead of dealing with this log, you start walking around, you go find somebody else who proclaims to be a Christian. You say, whoa, would you look at that speck? 
You see that speck they got in their eye? That's unreal. That, that is unacceptable. I cannot tolerate that. We got to deal with that right here, right now, at all costs. And I, as the self-appointed speck hunter of my tribe, will not let this speck go undealt with. And so you, the law God person, now approach the speck God person and get to work at dealing with their speck. The whole time you've got this log in your eye, which ought to be pretty obvious to you, but you can't see it. You're blind to it. You're not aware of it. Everybody else's sin, or at least some other people's sin, or at least some certain type of sin, really sticks out to you, really gets your attention, but you're totally and completely blind to the sin in your life. And you say, that's not me. That can't be me. I've examined myself, and I can't see it. Right. That's how blind spots work. You can't see it. If you're not looking for the log, you can't see the log. So you're not just out of this because you think you're fine. But Jesus is condemning here. What he's condemning here is this type of assessment that we would actually take this standard and lay it on somebody else that we're not willing to lay on ourselves. The problem is not that you would approach your brother. Jesus says, take the speck out and approach your brother. Like, go help your brother. All that's there. The challenge is that we would be a people who are adamant about dealing with other people's sin while we ourselves are harboring sin in our lives that we won't deal with. Jesus says, That's not okay. It's not okay to do that type of hypocritical judgment. I've got a log in my eye, but I really want to, what's really important right now is I deal with the speck that's in your eye. The challenge is not, again, the fact that you would would approach your brother, that you would have the standard. The problem is that you won't lay the standard on you. The problem is that you want to hold up a standard that you yourselves don't even meet. The problem is that you would take... The problem is the fact that you, Jesus says, form to a standard that you yourselves won't conform to. And Jesus says, that means you're a hypocrite. Verse 5, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Okay, so hypocrite. We talked about hypocrite just the other week when we saw it in the text, and we said then, like we're going to say now, Jesus is using this, the same word as talking about an actor, like an actor who would take, a, take multiple masks so they can change characters in the midst of a, of a play or something. And Jesus is saying, here's what's going on. Like, if that's you, you're putting on a show. If you're holding yourself up to be the arbiter of truth, I am the official speck hunter of the tribe. If that's you, that's how you feel. Jesus just wants you to know that you're a hypocrite because believe it or not, you're a sinner too. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Nothing wrong with approaching your brother to take the speck out of his eye. Nothing wrong with that at all, just be aware again that you yourself is a sin, or you are a sinner. The problem is not your standard. The problem is that you will not apply the standard yourself. You hypocrite. The bottom line, brass tacks. What do I do about this? Where does the rubber meet the road? How do I fix this problem? How do I adopt the humility that a disciple is supposed to have? All you got to do is realize Jesus died for you too. The cross was for you too. All these people who you look at and you say they're blatant sinners, they've got this big problem in their lives, I cannot tolerate the speck that's in that person's eye. That's fine, you can feel that way. Just be aware, you ought to be in hell too. You know, uh, it doesn't surprise me 
in the least, like not one bit. It doesn't surprise me at all that we live in this world, and the world that we live in has kind of conformed to this like everything's okay type mentality. That's the logical conclusion, guys. That's the logical conclusion of what happens when you say we're just going to throw out objective truth. When you say it's all relative and nothing really matters and nothing's really true or not true, guess what? Everybody becomes good because there is no good or bad anymore. So we just kind of adopt this philosophy. Everybody's a good person, and we all know Everybody's kind of good, and, and people only really do bad things when you put them in a corner and their backs up against the wall, and then their circumstances might sometimes lead them to do uh, evil things. I assume we know that's not reality. I assume we know that's not the case. The problem I have, where I do, or I am, it's not my job to be offended by the world, but where I'm actually appalled is the fact that the American church continues to churn out people who think that all folks are intrinsically good. The problem with that is when we say something like that, when we say that only the really elite in evil are the people who are going to be condemned, the problem that we have is that we're just contra everything the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that you're created by God. Not just in, he aided us, like we belong. He has inherent authority over us by the very fact that he's created us, like we belong to him. And then the problem that me and you have is he actually will go and say things like, here's what I want you to do. Like here, here are commandments I'm giving you for how you, as my creation, ought to operate in this world that I've created. This is for your best interest and this is the way I'm asking you to live. I'm commanding you to live this way. And then... Ever since the Garden of Eden, we as a human race have looked at God and said, no, nah, I think we're good, God. I really appreciate like, you trying to give us these guidelines to like, help us out and like, tell us what to do and tell us what's best for us. But, you know, like, God, it's 2023. We're really sophisticated people. I'm pretty sure we know what's best for us. Like, if you would just kind of take that and get out of here, we'll just kind of go on and, and do, our own, do our own thing. That, that rebellion... That rebellion against God's authority, the Bible has a word for it. That word is, is called sin. So when the Bible talks about sin, that's what, it's, that's what it's talking about. Let me tell you what else the Bible says about sin. The Bible goes on to say about sin in Romans chapter 3 that we've all sinned. We, like we've all been a part of this sin. Like that rebellion, we're part of it. You don't have to go apply for it. You don't have to go pre-register for it. You don't have to stand in line and wait to get in on it. Like you're in. You're there. You're in the rebellion. You're part of that rebellion. You're a sinner. You're part of the all. Believe it or not, you're part of the all. All have sins. And I'll tell you what else the Bible says about sin. A few chapters later, over, over in Romans 6, it tells us what our sins earn. It says that the wages, the earnings of sin is death. Now, you can go read that for yourself. I really wish you would read it for yourself, but I just want to make you aware, like in Romans 6, when it's talking about death, it ain't talking about like you die. It's talking about like you're judged, you're condemned, you're cut off from God, you're cast into hell. And so I just want to make this really clear for it. Let's do some math this morning. The fact that you are a sinner plus the fact that your sin has earned you hell means everyone in this room ought to go to hell. We all ought to be condemned to hell. That, like, that is very clearly what the Bible is teaching. And the good news for us is the Bible is also teaching is there's a way for you not to do that. But there's only one way. If you will escape hell, if you will escape judgment that your sin has earned you from this just and holy God whom you've actively rebelled against, it will only come through Jesus. Because God, the Father, sent 
the Lord Jesus Christ, to live in our place, to die on our behalf, to rise from the grave, to defeat and conquer death and hell and the grave so that me and you might have life in him. He says we will have life to him if we come to him in this desperate dependence, knowing that we need to turn from our sin and knowing that we need his righteousness to be credited to our account or will forevermore be separated from him. So brothers and sisters, if that's you, like if God has worked in your heart to give you this desire to seek him and to love him and to treasure him more than you treasure yourself in your own efforts to make yourself right, that's fantastic. You can have life and you can have life with God in Christ. You can be restored to your creator. Note very clearly, it's not by your righteousness not by your own efforts. It's not by what you're able to do. If you will make it into the kingdom of heaven, it will not be through you. It will be through Jesus, which means you can simultaneously have a relationship with God and love the Lord and call yourself a Christian and know I ought to be in hell. Praise be God, I'm not in hell, but I really ought to be. Praise be to God, he's made a way for me not to be, but I really ought to be. And if you're convinced, not like intellectually that you ought to be, but like in your heart that you ought to be, that God's wrath really should be on me, that has to change the way that you interact with other brothers and sisters. Other people who the Lord's shown grace to as well. We all ought to be condemned, and it's only through Jesus that I won't be condemned. Brother, sister, do you know who you are? If you know who you are, we ought to be, you ought to be a humble people because it's only and only, only through Jesus that you can have life with God. That has to frame the way that we relate to each other. We have to be a humble people, particularly with each other. What about Thomas? Thomas, I'm humble and I go and I try to talk to people and I try to intervene in their lives and I try to tell them, hey, what you're doing is bad. and all. Like, I try to do that and I do it in the most humble and gentle and speaking the truth in love way that I can. Like, what about when they still like reject that and they slam the door in my face and, and they just don't want anything to do with that? Like, Thomas, how am I supposed to relate to those people? Verse six, enter discernment. Here comes the discernment that we're talking about. Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Let's talk about dogs for a minute. I'm going to offend some of you dog lovers too. Here's the deal, okay? First century in Jewish life, dogs weren't clean. They were understood to be these kind of like roaming, scavenging animals. Like, I know you love your dog, but let's just imagine your dog ain't domestic, okay? Like, not a really pretty picture. And so the Jewish world, they're saying, hey, these, these dogs are unclean creatures. Sorry. Sorry if that offends the way you think about your dog. You can put that in the category with the ugly duckling too. Other things, you, yeah, you can have a problem with that. That's great. Pigs. No, nowhere to budge on pigs, okay? Very clear. Like, pigs are objectively unclean animals per Jewish law. I don't care how you feel about pigs, but pigs in the Jewish law, like, you don't fool around with pigs. That's what the Old Testament says. Don't mess with pigs. They're unclean. As somebody who had three variations of pork for breakfast yesterday, I'm incredibly glad that in Christ, I'm free to not see pigs as unclean creatures. But again, when Jesus says this in the first century, unclean. They get it. Dogs, unclean. Pigs, unclean. And his point, if we've got these unclean animals, we have these kind of like savage scavenging animals that are, are blatantly unclean, would we turn around and like give what's holy to them? 
Would we turn around and take pearls, something precious, valuable to us, and give it to them? Of course you wouldn't. And if you did, you wouldn't be surprised when they didn't see it as precious and valuable, as holy like you did, would you? No, of, of course you wouldn't. Of course you wouldn't see that. So there's some, there's some discernment here. We've got to have discernment when we think about how we intervene in others' lives. We've already seen very clearly from the text that the type of, the type of intervention where we come in, blazing, blazing, just horns blazing, we come in, run in here, and we just get on our kind of hypocritical high horse, and we turn around and blast everybody and tell them how bad they are because we're this law God person, all these people are speck God people. Like, that's wrong. That's blatantly, like, been condemned. Like, of course you can't do that. But here's the thing that Jesus wants to make you aware of. There are times, there are people, who you're going to come to, and you're going to come in a spirit of gentleness, in a spirit of love, and you're going to speak the truth in love like the Bible is commanding you to do, and they're not going to receive that really well either. Jesus just wants you to be aware of that. Dogs, yeah, they, don't, they don't play well with holy stuff. Pigs, they don't do great with pearls. Just don't, just don't be surprised. Thomas. But Thomas, here's my problem, okay? Thomas, my problem is that it's not just these people who are blatantly on the outside. Like, they're Christians, Thomas. They're people who call themselves Christians who I go to and try to approach, and I try to do it in this gentle, humble, speak the truth in love way, and they just turn around and absolutely will not take that. And when, when that happens, Thomas, what's happening to me is my kind of like radar is going off saying, like, I don't know that this person's a Christian. What do I do then? Here's what I would do. I would just take that advice from your conscience that maybe they're not a believer. And if you're really suspicious that they're an outsider, you're really confident they're an outsider, great, just treat them like an outsider. Treat them like you would treat any other outsider. And I hope this is how you treat outsiders. I hope you pray for outsiders. I hope you plead with the Lord that he would save outsiders. I hope that you talk about the gospel to outsiders. I hope that if you can get an outsider to read the Bible with you, that you would take the time to read the Bible with them. I hope that you would just come in a place of, of humility, knowing that you ought to be in hell too, and you would beg the Lord to open their eyes. Yeah, but Thomas, they're, they're nominal Christians. Like, it's so hard for them to see the truth because they're already convinced they the truth. Gotcha. They're not different. Nominal Christians aren't different than other outsiders. Like, you've never opened anybody's eyes ever yourself, have you? You're not going to open their eyes either. The Lord's going to open their eyes. So ask the Lord to open their eyes. Beg the Lord to open their eyes. Take them to the Word. Give them the Word. Try to make them sit and wrestle with the Word for themselves. Just treat them like an outsider. Love them and pray for them and talk to them about the gospel. Discernment is more then welcome. Hypocritical judgment or judgment of any kind is not welcome towards outsiders. Not our business to be judging outsiders. We have nothing to do with that. We try to love them. We try to get the gospel to them. Do you know who you are? Are you aware of who you are? Has that created a posture of humility in you? If you're trying to figure out if you know who you are or not, you can just ask the question, how am I relating to other people? Am I relating to other people like I'm a humble person who knows I ought to be condemned as well? Or am I relating to other people like I really hate the speck that's in their eye and I'm really fine myself? Do we know who we are? Brothers and sisters, we stand in a desperate need, like desperate, desperate 
need of the grace of God being manifest to us if we will be saved and we will be ever more lost if the grace of God is not manifest to us. We are not getting into the kingdom of God because of us. We will only get into the kingdom of God because of Jesus. Do you know you desperately need the Lord to credit Jesus' righteousness to you? We know who we are. And that type of desperate need, knowing that we desperately need the Lord to apply Jesus' righteousness to us, it does two things. We've seen one. It changes the way we relate to others. It makes us a humble people. And then it changes the way we relate to the Lord. Verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Not a great way to translate this in English. If we wanted to play with some words, we would say something like, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Keep on knocking. This is desperate need. This is is a complete lack of trust in myself, a complete awareness that I'm not self-sufficient, an awareness that I need somebody else to do something for me, namely God. Let's just run with Jesus' illustration for a second. Look at that word, knock. What I want you to do is go back into your imagination, and I want you to transport yourself a couple hours, three hours, four. You can adjust for whatever you got going on this afternoon, okay? Well, let's just imagine that you come back up to your house, and let's just assume for the sake of our imaginative uh, exploration here, that there's nobody else at home. It's just us. It's just me or it's just you and the folks who came to church with you. If you got kids, they're, they're with you. Like, it's just, it's just you. Nobody's at home. And you walk up to the house. And as you walk up to the house, nobody's in the house. Let's imagine that you, you walk up to the door and you start knocking on the door. Would that, would that be a little nonsense? Do you think that'd be nonsensical? Do you think your spouse would kind of look at you like you'd lost your mind? Do you think that your kids would maybe start thinking, wait, have, have we been taken on a detour to visit somebody else's house that we weren't like informed of in the car on the way over? Like, what's going on? What, like, what, what, are we, what are we doing? That doesn't make sense. You, do you know when you knock and keep on knocking? When you know you can't get in. When you know you ain't got the way to open the door. When you know that if the door is going to be opened, it will only be opened by another way. And brothers and sisters, that's the point. This is exactly where it stands with our relationship with the kingdom of God. We will not get in because of us. We will not get in because we're good enough. Our works won't get us in. Our merits won't get us in. Our giving won't give us in. Jesus is the only one who can get us in. And the Bible says, like it very clearly says, that if we knock and we keep on knocking, he will let us in. Verse 8, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. Jesus is not in the business of turning away people who come to him in desperate need. If we ask and keep on asking, if we seek and keep on seeking, if we knock like our lives depend on it because it really and truly does, you do not have to worry if he'll open the door, and he can open the door because guess what? It's his kingdom. You ain't got the keys. He's got the keys. It's his kingdom. He can open the door. So ask him. Seek him. Knock and it will be opened to you. You don't have to worry about that. If you come in need, you don't have to worry whether he'll bring you in or not. You can rest assured. Why? Why can I be so confident? Why can I rest assured? Why in the world would I be able to trust God's provision for me in Jesus? Verse 9, 
Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will we'll give him a serpent? That's why you can trust the Lord. Because you wouldn't do that. Parents, some of y'all, a lot of y'all parents, a lot of y'all have had kids before. Um, let's imagine your kid comes up to you and wants bread. Something to eat, right? Mommy, mommy, mommy. Can you get me some bread? Now I'll tell you what, son, how about you take this rock? You wouldn't do that. Nobody would do that. I'd call, I'd call child services on you if you did that. You wouldn't, your, your kid comes to you and says, daddy, 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 can you please give me a fish? I'll tell you what, son, how about you just take this snake? Like, Jamie would call child services on you, or Wade, or something, right? Somebody, somebody who hates snakes would be like, Weak, you can't do that. You wouldn't do that. You don't do that. You've never done that to your kids. Nobody would do that. And since you don't do that, here's the point. Verse 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So like if you know how to give your kids what they need, do you not think God knows how to give the people who are actually coming to him independence? Like he knows how to give them what they need. And what they need is Jesus. So you don't have to worry, you don't have to wonder if they come in desperate need asking and seeking and knocking like they're going to get what they need. You don't have to worry about that because even you do that. And Jesus says, you're evil. You who are evil. You remember a few minutes ago when I was saying things like, hey, the Bible doesn't teach that Santa Claus knows God's children, that makes everything right, and we're all good, and we all kind of naturally do the right thing, and only when our backs are like, we talk, that's nonsense. Like, I was just paraphrasing Jesus. Just remember, like, Jesus wasn't preaching this sermon at Guantanamo Bay. He wasn't preaching it to, to the inmates on death row. Like, he, this wasn't like a prison ministry. Like He was out on the hill, and his immediate audience was his disciples, people who had already committed to following him. And he looks at them and says, you're evil. Just remember that. Like You're evil. So if you wonder if you can trust God, just know that even you who are evil know how to give to people who come to you in dependence. If you're a parent and your kid comes to you, they're in this childlike, dependent, I need you state, they get what they need. You do that for them, and you're evil. So guess what? God, who's not evil, who has absolutely no darkness in him at all, like, do you think you can trust him to give you what you need if you come to him in humble, childlike dependence? Sure. If you'll ask and keep on asking, and you'll seek and keep on seeking, and you'll knock and keep on knocking until the door is open for you, guess what? The door's gonna be open for you because your Father in heaven is a good God, and he knows how to give to his children who come to him in need. You do not have to worry about that. So the question then is, if that's what the Lord will do, he'll provide for those who come in radical need, are you coming to him in radical need? Are you coming to him as one who knows that you are absolutely, totally dependent upon him? And that question is going to be answered by your answer to our other question. I guess it depends on whether you know who you really are or not. So do you know who you are? Well, that's the end of our section. 
not just the end of our section today, it's the end of a section that we actually began back in Matthew chapter 5, I guess you'd say somewhere around verse 20. It's the end of our section, and we know this is the end of our section because Jesus offers us this big brass tacks bottom line summary statement, which he's done a good bit, but here it is for you in verse 12. So whatever you wish the others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Would you, know, would you want to know how to be a disciple? Would you want to know how to relate to other disciples in humility? Would you want to know how to come to the Lord knowing that you're radically dependent? Would you live all of your life framed out in that way as this humble person knowing you're dependent on God? If you would, here's the bottom line. Here's, here's a really good way to do that. Here's a really good way to stay on track. Just think, what would I like other people to do towards me? And you do that towards them. Summary of everything Jesus has taught. I don't like it when people harbor anger towards me. So what should I do? I shouldn't harbor anger towards them. I should actually go and seek reconciliation with them. I wouldn't want somebody else to lust after my spouse. They're not married to my spouse. So I shouldn't lust after somebody I'm not married to either. I wouldn't want my spouse to to leave me. So I I wouldn't want to leave my spouse. I don't like when people lie to me, so I I shouldn't lie to other people. Or chapter 6. I don't like it when people come to me with this facade on. They're highfalutin. They're arrogant. They look down their nose at me. They think they're better than me, and that's clothed in this little thinly veiled religious garb nonsense. I don't like it when people do that to me. So I'm not going to act to other people like I'm better than them. Because the Bible tells me I'm not. The Bible tells me I ought to be in hell too. Brothers and sisters, if, if you would walk the path of the disciple, if you would live the life of the disciple, you will have to live a life that is eat up and clothed and characterized by humility. And that humility will come very, very easy to people who trust in the Lord, knowing that they are radically dependent on the Lord. And it's not very hard to trust in the Lord if you know you're a person who has has absolute, desperate, only Jesus can fix it, need. So, you know who you are. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, uh, make us a people who know who we are. Make us a people who know that we uh, deserve condemnation from you. Make us a people who know that if we trust in Jesus, we won't receive it. Make us a people who know it's only because we trust in Jesus we won't receive it. Oh Lord, we need your help even right now to free us from uh, the, the lies of the world, the narrative around us that is busy telling us how good we are and how much we ought to trust our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would give us the discernment we need, the reliance on you that we need to go to your word and let it inform who we really are. That we would really believe that we are who your word says that we are and that we would relate to others in humility and we would relate to you in, in desperate dependence because that's what your word teaches us to do. So Lord, Make us more faithful disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll have a brief hymn of response. I'll be